Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. He played tackle in the NFL for more than a decade. Max Starks. Max Starks. Maximum Football. Brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get more money selling your home. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Please welcome, from the University of Florida, tackle Max Starks. segment of Maximum Football, and just to get you caught up on what's uh, going on with the Cardinals today, uh, David Blau is going to start on Sunday, DeAndre Hopkins is not going to play, and according to Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray had successful surgery yesterday, but probably won't be ready for the start of the 2023 season. Never good, Max, when you have a season as brutal as the Cardinals have had really since what, like February, <laughs> you start to list out, and, I, and I'm seeing people do this on Twitter now too, but we did this a few weeks ago. Wolf gave me a list of like all the things that have happened this season, and I immediately looked, and I was like, yeah, we left out like 12 things. Um, and now we're to the point where it's already extending into next year in terms of Kyler Murray's injury and his rehab and his recovery. If you are rebuilding this roster because they have so many free agents and so many potential changes, where are you starting, Max? Yeah, right. Uh, defensive line is probably the first thing I'm looking at. And then I'm working my way over to offensive line. And then uh, you take it from there. I think the first two things you have to get done is you've got to get this defensive line under control and get get it to where you have – the guys, the resources, the bodies, um, you've got to get an outside pass rusher. Um, you've got to get interior now, especially DJ Watt is retiring. Um, you know, you need that young talent there. Zach Allen's injured. So you, you really need to, you really need to build and fortify the defensive line. You know what's um, funny about that, Max? I had it just exactly. the opposite way. As a matter of fact, it was more the offensive line because of oh, yeah. Kyler. It's still the line of scrimmage. It's, still, it's the line yeah. of scrimmage they need to rebuild from a personnel perspective. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think offensive line will be a little bit easier to deal with um, with some of the guys you know, being able to hopefully re-sign some of those guys. I know what Kelvin Beecham's up, um, Rodney Hudson's up. Um, you know, but I think you, you, but you do need to get both of your lines intact. That, that's, that's business number one. Like you can't go any further without those two. So, I mean, you could say it's one A, one B, um, but they're both a priority. Your lines of scrimmage have to be fortified and you don't have the personnel right now coming into 2023 to even feel safe about that. Basically, everybody on the offensive line except DJ Humphreys and the rookies are are, are up contract wise. Um, yeah, as as far as the receiver position, there's a few different ways to go with this, but it's really easy to look and say, okay, DeAndre Hopkins didn't play last week and he's not playing this week, and it's a fair question to ask. You know, he was liking tweets earlier this week or last week about uh, places speculating he might not be here next year, and if you're the Cardinals and you're trying to look at what you can trade to get pieces back, obviously. Hopkins is the the biggest piece you have in that regard. What are you doing with Hopkins, and, and how does that dictate what you do with the rest of the offense? Well, I mean, with DeAndre, I mean, it's so tough to say. I mean, because he's been so fantastic and, and such such a such a huge piece to the offense. 
But if if you if you are committing to rebuild and you're getting a new coordinator in, if Cliff is here, or if you're getting a new head coach, then scrap everything. This is starting from the ground floor. You might as well get value for him. But that decision, obviously, as we get to Monday, will determine how you rebuild this team because you know one requires major tweaks and the other one will probably be an overhaul. Um, so that's so I think with DeAndre and the amount of time that Kyler misses also dictates the uh, the value of DeAndre um, to to the squad because whoever's going to be in a quarterback will not have that same synergy with DeAndre. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's going to be one of the things. I mean, the good thing is, like you said, we got the news. Surgery went successful on Tuesday. He's moving in the right direction to now start rehab. But that's still a long road for a guy who's very mobile and moves around a lot. Um, and and when you have that type of injury, the trust factor takes a, long, takes a while to get there. And trust me, as a fat guy who doesn't move fast, <laughs> um, nearly as fast as he does, you know, it took, it took me nine months as an offensive lineman. And so I can't imagine when you're talking about a skill position and the skill that Kyler Murray possesses, the change of direction, quickness, and what that knee has to be able to do and that he has to trust um, is going to factor in greatly to that pro- that recovery process and his usability. Um, but, you know, DeAndre, to get back on DeAndre, I think that that's a big factor. And, and who's the head coach will we'll factor into that. Because, I mean, if not... He's a valuable trade piece that you can get some new pieces in here. You can you can you can demand just shy of a king's ransom for him just because of his production and, and the skill that he possesses. So, Max, we're talking about the Arizona Cardinals from a personnel perspective, rebuilding both offensive lines and well, both defensive line and offensive line. You said defensive line first, I believe. Having said that, um, J.J. Watt is a guy that is retiring right now. Give me your thoughts on how you replace a guy like J.J. Watt. Well, I I think that's the biggest thing is that what J.J. Watt brought was the leadership, I think, at this point in his career, right? He He brought the steely reserve that you just don't he doesn't blink he doesn't flinch he's the ultimate <clears throat> he's the ultimate guy right and he's been often injured and you know he's not the JJ Watt of the 20 sacks and 14 and 15 you know what i'm saying like he's not yeah. that guy but the the mentality the purpose the leadership is what you have to replace with JJ Watt i think you can go find guys with the physical capabilities but it's the mental that you have to replace with J.J. And that's going to take, I think, honestly, you're not going to replace it, but you need to have some guys who are skilled, guys who are active and relentless, you know, think of Fletcher Cox type of mentality. That's just a rabid, just a rabid defender. Like, you've got to go find that type of guy. Um, now, whether that guy's available in free agency that you can bring in or whether you got to go draft one of those guys, because I think this year we'll have some pretty good depth for the defensive line coming out in this draft. I think there's some quality guys out there um, just because I've seen a cross-section of the entire um, uh, NCAA over the last season this year. Or the last week. Called, yeah, oh, yeah, especially the last week. Um, there's, some guys, there's some dudes out there. There's some dudes you can go get draft-wise, but they're young and they're raw and it's going to take a minute you know what I'm saying but at the same time that's what you have to do I I don't think you can replace a JJ I think you have to groom a JJ 
Uh, Max, I was going to ask you this too real quick before we let you go, sort of along the lines of what you were just saying. And I'm going to say for the purposes of this conversation, you can't trade the pick, but the Cardinals are probably going to pick top five. If you had to make the pick and you couldn't trade it, who in your mind is like the clear cut if this guy's there? Like who are the top two in your mind? Will Anderson? Yep. Number one. Okay. Um, and if you're not going to go DeAndre, Quentin Johnston. If, if you are going to trade him. I mean, th- those are those would be my, my two. I know you don't want to go wide receiver that high, but I think the talent is there, and, and you're going to need to replace that production if you do decide to move on from DeAndre Hopkins. Max, great stuff as always, man. We always appreciate it. We'll talk to you again Thank next you, week. Thank you, bro. All right, take care, guys. Have a great rest of your week. Okay, right. Max. You too. I did not expect the Quentin Johnston answer there. That's yeah. That's, I, I mean, that, man. he's he's. It <laughs> looks like he's going to be the first receiver off the board. But wow. Uh, all right, we come back. The Phoenix Suns are kind of in ownership limbo right now. Could it cost them a year of their championship window? We'll get into that next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, Suns-Cavs in about four hours. I'll throw the stat out there again. Their next 10 games, the opponents are combined 68 games above 500. So this is not an easy stretch to not have Devin Booker. You heard Eric Ruby putting this up there right there. Donovan Mitchell's coming off the first 70-point game since Devin Booker did it back in 2017. So that would have been a great matchup just to see those two go head-to-head. We're not going to see that tonight. We are also, um, (laughs) I don't know if we're going to see a trade anytime soon for the Suns. They've got five weeks to do it. Brian Windhorst had that story out yesterday detailing why it might be a little more difficult for James Jones to actually make deals. This is James Jones on with Burns and Gambo when this is about a week or so ago on the 21st of December. And they asked him, okay, this is the ownership situation where you know it's going to be Matt Ishbia, but it isn't technically Matt Ishbia yet. Does that make your job harder? There's been a lot of speculation, and I've kind of shot these down. But like that, that you know, maybe you were handcuffed and you couldn't trade a first round draft pick until there was an ownership change. But none of that was really true, right? You've had the the ability to go make deals and sign players and things like that on your own, as it is right now. Correct? Um, we, I've had I've had the ability to do some things. Um, evidently, when you're when you're like where we are, um, just not us, but the other other franchises and the you know, counterparts, they think about, okay, um, what's the likelihood something will be able to get done? Uh, so it, it, it ices it, it chills it a little bit. But um, as far as business, we've been able to, to have the conversations and focus on the things we think can improve the team, and uh, we'll continue to do so going forward. You know, this is a weird situation because once again, why do you say that? Well, it it is. I mean, uh, typically you're not a team that's a playoff contender getting sold in the middle of the season. Yeah, no, you're right about that. But again, coming into the season right now, even knowing Jay Crowder was not going to play for the Phoenix Suns, they were going to sit Jay Crowder over there. Knowing that, did I still believe the Phoenix Suns could be a championship caliber team? Yes, I did. Yeah, uh, if it's with you, I still the window I, I think was I still, still open. It it was. So now you know why is this? Is it handcuffing James Jones and the Phoenix Suns in terms of making a deal? There's no doubt. There's some restrictions out there, but you've got to ask yourself right now: Do you believe that when this team gets healthy and they fix their defense, they can still win a championship? They can compete to win a championship. I do. 
I think what has changed, and we, we were doing the show last week, uh, Howard Balzer was in for you, and he asked me basically what you just said, because he's like, well, if you believed, because I did believe at the start of the year they could win a championship, he's like, if you believed that then, what has changed since then? And... I want to be clear. I still think the Suns can win a title this year, but I, I don't think they can do it just by sitting still and just being like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll, our guys will get healthy and we'll be fine. I, I don't think it's going to work. I mean, look around the league. Boston Boston seems like they're better than they were last year. Milwaukee's sure. a contender. New Orleans is like a legit going-to-win-the- West contender. Memphis continues to get better, and they're right there with New Orleans. Golden State's going to pick it up. Like This is not... Last year, it really kind of felt like it was like a three- or a four-team race that the Suns were in, and unfortunately, Golden State was one of the four, and they ultimately won it. It doesn't feel like a four-team race this year, and so I still think they are a title contender, but... Like There are plenty of teams in the league that aren't a move away from being a title contender. But the difference is now I think the Suns are a move away from doing it. See, once again, um, when I say that I still believe this is a team, once I get healthy, that they can actually compete for a championship, a lot of that centers around Chris Paul actually getting right and Chris Paul looking like Chris Paul. I'm not at the panic button moment. I'm not. I was talking about this yesterday. As a matter of fact, you know what? Yeah, I've had the thought of actually reaching for the panic. What button. if it was right there? Would that make I would it? not do okay. it. I'd right. look at it. I'm staring. Yeah, I, I'd see it. Okay. There it is. Look, the panic. Ah! Everyone's terrified, but I, I can't push it. I can't even think of reaching for it. I'm not going to do that. Um, Chris Paul, uh, I. <laughs> I need to see at least till we get into, I don't know, February, February. And if suddenly Chris Paul is not showing real improvement going forward, um, I, I think maybe then I'll start to have a uh, maybe I'll reach. Maybe I'll re- I won't push it, I don't think, but maybe I'll reach. But I, they've got to get everyone healthy. We haven't had a large sample size of their starting five. There's no guarantee we will. I. Well, it's looking a lot better because Cam Johnson, Cam Johnson will be coming back. Devin Booker will be coming back. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a while for Booker, though, it sounds like. It's, it's still you know three weeks away from him being reevaluated. So it's not, I mean, I hear what you're saying. When this team is healthy, I still put them up there among the top, I would say, like six teams in the NBA now. And if you're in that top six, you can win a title. There's, I don't think there's any team in there that's like a, a clear-cut favorite. I know Boston fans would say differently. I look at Boston, though, and see a lot of similarities to last year's Suns team. Go to the finals the year before, great in the regular season the next year. That, and we just saw that doesn't guarantee anything anything yeah you know again um cam johnson and how cam johnson comes back and how he contributes and how he plays coming out of the gate that that is going to be a very important factor as well not just chris paul but cam johnson Mm -hmm. and how he looks but having said that again you go back and you look at the suns at the start of the season i've been talking about it all show for the most part but they were on top of the western conference And and it wasn't, I'm not talking about seven games into the season being on top. We're talking about, you know, 16 and 7. There were 23 games they had played. James Jones is a guy that talks about that all the time. The 20 to 25 game window, that's what you take to evaluate a team. And it's not just off the top. It's not just the first 20 to 25. It's also you take the next 20 and 25 games as well to evaluate a team. So there are ebbs and flows. There's no doubt about that. But coming into this season, I believed the Phoenix Suns, based on everything that they have already shown, I believe they could compete 
again, as is, for a championship. And now just because of the Jay Crowder situation and you can't pull a trade off for him and, you know, now all of a sudden is that handcuffed James Jones? Well, if you believed it coming into this season, if everyone gets healthy, don't you still believe it? I do. The only the, the problem I would say, though, is you're right. Like you evaluate in 20 game stretches. But if you evaluate their most recent 20, they're eight and 12. Now, again, a lot of injuries. And so nobody nobody looks at the Suns as they're currently constructed and says, hey, can they win a title without Devin Booker and Cam Johnson? Like, there's no way those guys obviously have to come back. I think the reason people get hung up on Jay Crowder and I'm, I'm right there is because this is a piece of your team last year and you have for lack of a better term, voluntarily said, we're just going to be weaker here. And so far, you've said, we're not going to trade him for anything. And it looks like, oh, we don't like that deal. Oh, we don't like that deal. Well, now you got five weeks. But you read the, the story from Brian Windhorst, and it makes it sound like maybe it's not so easy to make any deal because any deal with a player that's making more than $10.8 million roughly has to be signed off on by Robert Sarver and the team's in the luxury cap. So any move really is going to have to be signed off on by him. I mean, Wolf, it's, it's, there's, you know, Kyle Kuzma's name has come up, either of the, of the Bogdanoviches, uh, Jared Vanderbilt in Utah. Like, there's a lot of different names of players out there that you look at and say, hey, that would be potentially a move that would push this team over the top from kind of fringe title contender to like one of the top two or three favorites. If they can't make moves and the other teams can, that's going to be a problem. You know what? I don't think any of it matters. I really don't, unless they fix. Their culture. Well, I don't think true. any of it matters. I again, this is this is what I continue to come back to. It's not outside looking outside and saying, "Okay, we, we need to bring this guy in and this guy, and that'll fix it." No, no, I, I am locked in on the culture of the Phoenix Suns and what is wrong with them. What is going on? Well, okay, listen, a lot of injuries. Oh my goodness, there's been no consistency for the most part in the starting lineup. A lot of injuries they've been dealing with. I get that, but they got to fix their culture, man. That's what they got to do. And when you start with the culture, you start with their defense. Fix that. And so much of that is about effort. So much of that is about intellect. So much about fixing your defense is about communicating with each other and going out and making it a priority. Moving your feet, man, on the defensive end of the floor, there's nothing bigger to me than moving your feet, staying in front of somebody, not allowing that dribble penetration. How different do you think things are going to look? Because they're in this weird spot right now where Matt Ishbia is going to be the owner, but he isn't the owner. And that's what's hanging this up. And it, it seems like, based on, on this Brian Windhorst story and a few others that are out there, that he's not going to take over till after the trade deadline. So really, they might be stuck for this year's trade deadline. But how much, how different do you think this team looks in a year with a new owner who is very into culture, as we as we heard on that real sports thing. Yeah, oh man, okay, it's a tough question to ask because once again, we need to know who's here. You know what? Well, you yeah. need to know personal perspective who is actually here. Um, can I just say um, philosophically how much I love the fact that Matt Ishbia is a jock who's a billionaire and owns the Phoenix Suns, (laughs) I am really jacked up about that, as long as he doesn't meddle. You hire good people, and then you train those good people, and then you let them do their job. That sounds like something he said. (laughs) 
Here is Tom Izzo saying Ishbia will do a good job being hands-on, but not meddlesome. When you're an owner, you know, I, I think you got to be around some. I, I don't think you got to meddle in everything, but I think you got to be around. Players got to know that uh, you got their back, but uh, you got to know that they got your back. And I think he'll do a great job of that. He's he's young enough and yet experienced enough. He's taken a company from nothing and made it into a you know fifteen twenty billion dollar company. So mm-hmm. he knows how to make money and he knows how to make the right decisions because he could have been working for me still as a <laughs> coach or something <laughs> and, you know making 300000 a year or 400000 a year he, he makes that an hour now so he, he made the right decision guys the only problem is he didn't drag his buddy the coach with him salt <laughs> if Tom Izzo said it it's gold uh, yeah, there's not very few people that know more about basketball than Tom Izzo. Text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. All right, when we come back, we know the Cardinals are picking second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth. That's going to be hashed out this weekend. But what is the best case scenario for each of those picks? We'll get into some of the uh, what has to happen scenarios and players that have been drafted in those spots over the last couple of years. Next, it's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. I want to talk a little uh, NFL draft. We're going to have time to do this, I guess. But we did this a little bit earlier. The Cardinals, we know for sure, are going to pick somewhere between pick number two and pick number six. And we're going through some of these scenarios earlier and, you know, what what players might uh, be available there, what sort of players have been drafted there in the past. Like, for instance, the third overall pick, Derek Stingley went last year, Trey Lance the year before, Jeff Okuda, Quinn and Williams, Sam Darnold, Solomon Thomas. Those are the last six years, you know. So there's some misses in there for sure. Um, And, you know, you brought up um, Will Anderson is is the guy that we kind of both want. And so then, you know, Dave Pash called in and he's on the Arizona Sports Line right now. He's he's here right now. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) Apparently, I I was not listening and and my phone was blowing up like, Wolf's calling you out. So um, I I got a minute. I figured I'd call in. Oh, buddy, thank you so much, man. I mean, honestly, (laughs) we were doing this little bit uh, earlier in this beautiful broadcast and Luke was over there reading something. What was it? Look, it was a second round. <laughs> He's giving second me a dirty look right I'm now. just like some of the guys that have gone number two overall when they're quarterbacks and teams are desperate, they are a miss, like Zach Wilson and Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, you know what? I would love to see the Arizona Cardinals obviously get to number two for the opportunity of drafting Will Anderson. And I, it was interesting because I brought your name up knowing that you had an up-close-and-personal encounter with Will Anderson. Do you care to share your evaluations <laughs> Of this edge player from the Crimson Tide. Well, as you know, Wolf, because I was uh, speaking of blowing up phones, I was blowing your phone up last week when I was uh, down in New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl. We were uh, fortunate enough as part of the broadcast team to be able to go to practice and then you know, meet with the coaches, as we always do, and usually some star players. So we got to meet with both Bryce Young and Will Anderson. And first of all, watching Will Anderson on the field, uh, you, you see a combination of several guys. And I don't know, these are guys that he actually mentioned when we asked him who he, who he studies tape on. He said Von Miller, Max Crosby, Nick Bosa, and I'm trying to remember the other one. I forgot the fourth. But anyway, it, it, it was a combination of guys that are have elite speed 
speed and length, but also have like lower body power. And Will Anderson, if you look at him, he's got this, this a lot of guys that look as long as he does and look as good up top, usually they're thin. Their legs are thinner, but he, he's big. He's yeah. thick. And, and Wolf, you, they put him in the four, in, in the, uh, as a four technique sometimes. Yeah. Like in the four eye. I mean, and he's 253 pounds. He listed at 243. He told us 253. And again, all this stuff we said on the air, uh, on, e, on ESPN during the Sugar Bowl. So it's not like, um, you know, spilling house secrets. These, these are all on the record. Uh, conversations. I, I love the kid. He, he's an intelligent young man. And what I love most, guys, is when we asked him, why are you playing in this game? Um, he, he talked at length about leadership. And then he said, I don't want to be a hypocrite because all I've done is tell everybody how hard we have to play every down uh, and telling the young guys and leading the young guys, I don't want them to see me as a hypocrite. And then he said, and I love to play and I'm, I'm a competitor. So, uh, okay, so I, there was not, I, right, exactly. Like there wasn't one thing that you, that we saw or heard or in talking to Nick Saban about him that you walked away saying, my goodness. Uh, the problem is if the Cardinals don't get to two, I don't, I don't think he's going to be there. So yeah, no, we, we might as well start talking about somebody else probably. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe at three, maybe you get some quarterback desperate team that wants CJ Stroud and they trade up to two or something. I don't know. But, uh, but Dave, we appreciate you calling in. We just wanted to bother you about Will Anderson because yeah. we just decided that's who we want and we figured you were on board too. So here we are. Oh, it's definitely who I want. I just don't know that uh, yeah. uh, that he'll be there when, when the Cardinals pick. But okay. All right, stop Wait, calling me out, Wolf. <laughs> David, thank you, man. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, Dave Pass joining us right there on the Arizona Sports Line. Wolf David, he answered the bat signal. Interesting. Did. Well, yeah, we didn't actually people, send it on. People kept bothering him, him because right of down. you. He was just effusive. In his praise, when he he was texting me, oh my goodness, you can't even believe this. Well, if you can't believe this guy the way he looks, I mean, just David, stop it. It'll bottle. Well, I liked what he said there at the end, though, about Will Anderson playing in a bowl game that's not a playoff game, that's not always a given when you yeah. are a top. Most, most draft boards don't have Will Anderson at number one because they have a quarterback going to Houston. But in terms of prospect rankings, they almost all have Will Anderson at number one as the best player in this draft. But, you know, that's part of this exercise we were doing earlier. When you start to look at guys that were taken at two and three over the last few years, teams get desperate and they trade up and they're like, we have to have a quarterback. We can't, we can't have somebody, can't risk another team taking the quarterback we want. And as you can see, 2021, the Jets take Zach Wilson. I mean, that turns out like that's going to be a wasted pick and they've drafted pretty well other than that lately. Uh, 2017, the Bears trading up for Mitch Trubisky at two, obviously was a, a huge mistake as well. But this is the, it's a, bad spot to be in when you have your franchise quarterback and somehow you're still picking top five-ish. Yo. But what's good about it is teams will take lesser players because they're quarterbacks and somebody like Will Anderson might slip to you if you pick third. I think boy, any lower than that, they're not getting them. Boy, what a beautiful thing that would be obviously right now. One of the things I love the most about Will Anderson is he plays the game of football whereas um, somebody forgot to tell him how talented and how good he is. Those are the best players. Those are the 
the best players, man. It really is. He goes out and he plays the edge and he does it in a very physical kind of way. Um, I haven't seen a ton of tape on him yet. I haven't done any draft research on him. I've just watched it when, oh boy, look, it's the Crimson Tide. <laughs> Go look at Will Anderson. Let, what do you say we watch him? And I've seen him from time to time this season, of course, and he's a physical player and really enjoys the physicality of the game in setting the edge as an edge player. You heard David right there talking about moving him down to a four eye, which is just inside the tackle, literally lining up on a tackle and in lining up on the inside shoulder of that tackle, a four eye and being able to hold up. He's that strong. He's that physical at 253 pounds. But more than this, he loves the game. This is this is where the Arizona Cardinals moving forward on every draft pick they have. I think they've got to filter it through that one variable. Does he love to play the game of football? Ladies and gentlemen, you can see it on tape. That's that's the thing. You can't because because that is I could not agree with you more. That's how they need to start filtering the players they bring in, right? Does this yes. guy love the game? Yes. You can't always tell. With Will Anderson, you can tell. Like It may be a guy who loves the game, and you just can't tell it based on what you saw in college, but with him, you clearly can. See, to me right now, if you watch enough tape, Luke, I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to say that you can tell if a guy loves to play the game if you watch enough tape. Well, you then can they tell, need to watch enough you can, tape. You can watch, you can tell an awful lot about a human being watching him play the blood sport just by watching a huge amount of tape. And if you watch him from snap to whistle, that's all you do. You've heard me say this before. Snap to whistle. All you do is watch him. You can actually, you can tell an awful lot about a human being based on how he plays the game of football. Well, the other thing with Will Anderson, he's he's played on the biggest stage in college, right? He won a national championship with Alabama in 2020. He has started 40 games at the college level. So, so right now, before things get weird and some guy has a cool pro day and all of a sudden they move up from 27th to 3rd, just everybody remember that Will Anderson and like Jalen Carter, too, is another one. It's all based right now on what they've actually done on a football field, not like on how much they bench press at the yes, combine or correct. something. All right, when we come back, final segment of the show, how did the Suns stop Donovan Mitchell tonight? It is uh, it's something they're going to have to figure out in the next like three-ish hours. Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke Middays, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Final segment of the show. It is Wolf and Luke on a Wednesday. Uh, quick update, too, again on the Cardinals in case people are just uh, jumping in the, the car right now. As far as who's starting on Sunday against the 49ers who need that game, San Francisco, they have a chance to be the number one seed in the NFC and get a first round bye. Here's Cliff Kingsbury on his starting quarterback this week. Yeah, David will start. Um, last week he didn't get the full process. You know, he just really practiced Friday, so I want to see what he can do. The full process um, and see kind of how he plays against really good defense. Also said Colt McCoy is basically shut down for the season, which is 
he's only one game now. Yeah, Colt um, basically shutting him down. You know, for the, the season, we need him next year, particularly with uh, the situation we have currently um, there with Kyler. So um, we'll let David have at it and see how it goes. And uh, on Kyler Murray having surgery yesterday, I did. Yeah, I texted him yesterday. It went well. Um, so now it starts rehab. I know he was excited to to get it done and, and get moving forward. So he also said. Um, doesn't but how do you say there's there's a, probably won't be ready for the start of next year Kyler Murray right. and DeAndre Hopkins will not play this here's weekend. the cut about probably won't be ready it was tough yeah he, he wanted to play and um, it's just in our situation with like I said the impending probably not having Kyler start the year it's it's the right thing to do yeah, there you go, right there. So he was talking about Colt McCoy right there, and the reason why, you know what, hey, listen, he's got some lingering. We don't, we want to make sure he's okay. They want to go ahead. They want to look at somebody else as well. David Blau certainly um, acquitted himself very, very well last week. I definitely, I want to see David Blau again, especially against this defense. I want to see David Blau operate because I loved. Yes, I loved what I saw from this cow offense. Um, so, so we have that coming up on San Francisco, and we'll get more into that certainly tomorrow with the Suns tonight. They are in Cleveland. the The stretch of ten games coming up is difficult. Like I keep saying, that those ten opponents are a combined sixty eight games above five hundred. But Monty Williams is focused on the fact that tonight does finally end this long six game road trip. Travel. All that stuff. I mean, if you look at our schedule, you know, I'm sure other teams have, may have the same, right? I, I don't get the, when you talk about rest, recovery, and load management, I'm not seeing it in the schedule, you know. But it is what it is. Teams are going to have six, seven-game road trips. You can use it as a great time to bond. Um, but everybody has that. I just, across the board, I, I don't see an effort to help in that regard as far as the travel is concerned. I'm sure every coach can sit here and have that same growth. What do you make of that, Luke? Well, you know, if if that is if that is true, if every coach or most coaches feel that way, that's step one to try to get these teams to stop load managing their players. If if the schedule it's a slippery slope, right? Because if coaches are saying, hey, man, you guys playing four games in seven nights, we're going to rest our, our big guys for one of those four nights. And so the league says, okay, now it's going to be three games in seven nights. Well, in three years, our coaches being like, yeah, we're going to rest our guy for one of those too. Yeah. But if if Adam Silver is intent on getting this league back to where there's not just a couple 25-point blowouts every night and guys sitting out every night, that might be the first thing to look at is the schedule to, to make some sort of – Deal with the teams of, hey, we're going to lessen the wear and tear on your guys. Not less games, but just spread them out a little bit more. But then you got to play them when they're healthy. You know what is so weird about it right now? Because they've talked about reducing the amount of games that you play in the regular season. They've done this for years now, this conversation about 82 games is too much. You don't need to do that. You need to reduce some of the the games that you're playing in the regular season right now. You know, for me, um, I just don't understand how in the world you can actually make all these advancements in how you train a professional athlete. And we know so much more about how you need to train a professional athlete and take care of his body. We know so much more scientifically about it. And yet, um, back in the day, 
where you did brutalize these guys, where the game was so much more physical, the Michael Jordan era, mm-hmm. and how physical the NBA was, you had these guys going out, and somehow, some way, they made it through 80, 82 games a year. They played in these games without major injury. It's stunning, isn't it? I mean, it yeah. makes you think, like, what what is going on here? Well, and it... it <laughs> Like, how do you, I don't know that you can get back to that point where players are just like, okay, we got 82 games. Well, how many are you going to play? Well, 82. I have a game tonight we're going to play. You know, setting aside injuries. Oh, this guy's got a messed up ankle. Okay, well, you can't play. That's not the same as like, eh, that's too many games for him. He doesn't, he doesn't need to play tonight. <laughs> like, <laughs> the look on your face is how I think a lot of people listening right now feel of like, well, but you signed up to play 82 games. If you have an ankle injury or a knee injury and you have to miss 15, okay, that's fine. But it's not like, why well, it's Wednesday and I just played on Tuesday. Why do I have to play again? That's not how it's supposed to work. And I don't know how you can change the collective mindset of that. I don't know. It didn't change overnight. It's been gradual. But I don't know how you change it back. And I'm glad you said that. It is a mindset, Lou. Yeah. It is a mindset. Load managing is a mindset. Yeah. It is a mindset to me. And because of that, man, it blows my mind. <laughs> See what I did it's, right it's there? It's set your mind. It's just, um, it's called toughness. And it's something that all these players used to have to have in order to play. I don't want to be, ladies and gentlemen, I do not want to be that old guy shaking his fist. Get off my lawn. I'm sorry, I don't. But I'm here to tell you right now. How did, how did Michael Jordan actually make it through? Competing the way he competed, being as physical as he is. How did he ever make it through playing 82 games and somehow, some way going on and going into the postseason and doing nothing but playing like a, well, the greatest player in the history of the game? Um, what, what happens? The body calluses itself and it also calluses the mind. Now, all of a sudden, all this conversation about, you know what, you got to you gotta sit down. Are you kidding me? 82 games, LeBron, it's so much. Now, listen, at his age right now, it could be. That could be a valid conversation and a valid discussion. But when you're talking about guys in their 20s, early 30s, how did guys from the past in a much more physical association, how did they make it through? I'm trying to find the stat of of guys who actually played all 82 games last season. But I can tell you this as I look for it on the air, which is always dangerous. Last year's scoring leaders in the NBA, okay? Yeah. Of the top 35, none of them played all 82 games. Only three of them even played 76 games. That was Trey Young, DeMar DeRozan, and Jason Tatum. Wow. Most of them played in the 50s and 60s. Oh, my goodness. And some of them, I'm sure, had injuries, but like, I'm just, <laughs> here's, here's the game. I'm just, I'm just going to read you the games played, not even the names, okay? This is one through wherever we get to 68, 56, 67, 55, 65. Uh, there's the two 76s, 29, 57, 74, 76, 68, 67, 64. Wow. I mean, it's, wow. it's the norm. It's, it's unusual to be Mikel Bridges and play every game. Oh, my goodness. It's not just unusual. Like, he might be the only one that did it last year and <laughs> trying to figure out how many other guys yet, did it. Once again, in this, this day and age, the present right now, 
We've got all of these training tactics and methods and, oh, we know so much more scientifically about your body and how it responds and what, and yet, look at this. How is that possible? Once again, there is an old school mentality that is out there, one in which I embrace. The body, you give it more work, it calluses itself. And because you're working the body and it's callousing the physicality, callousing your body overall, it also does that to your brain. It callouses the brain. Okay, I got the number. All the players in the NBA, how many do you think played all 82 games last year? So I don't know, what is that, like 450 players plus some guys that rotate in and out or whatever off rosters? Yeah, one Five. Five. It was uh, Sadiq Bey, Mikel Bridges, obviously, Dwight Powell, Denny Avdia, and Kevon Looney. Okay. There's your five guys. That's stunning. And some of those guys didn't play a whole lot of minutes in those games. Hey, Mikel, we are the Wu Fan Clan. We stand at the ready for you. Yeah, I mean, that dude played every game in college, too. Um, we did not come up, unfortunately, and I'm sorry if Monty Williams was listening and hoping for an answer, with a way to stop Donovan Mitchell on the show today. So hopefully the Suns have a plan for that. You got to blitz him, right? I mean, that's what you got to do. <laughs> Donovan, every time Donovan Mitchell gets the ball, you got to run at him. Uh, yeah, uh, you got to have. But we didn't get into, and we can get into it again because they play force Cleveland him to again. Make somebody else beat you, right? But yes, or have Mikel. I mean, Mikel Bridges and Donovan Mitchell go back a ways. Like those two will be. They have been talking trash to each other on social media the last couple of days. They do it when they're not even playing against each other. They're going to play him again in a, in, uh, in two games after this too. So get ready for the Mikel Bridges Donovan Mitchell matchup here over the next week or so. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's going to do it for us. You have anything you else you want to say in the last two <laughs> As a seconds? Of fact, no. I'm okay. <laughs> Well, you didn't turn your hat around. Usually I know you're done when you well, turn the hat you around. Well, wouldn't mess me up. Okay. All right. Thanks to uh, Aaron Maloney, Jesse Morrison behind the glass for Wolf. I'm Luke. We've got Burns and Gambo coming up next right here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.